Have you ever <clears throat> had a moment where you're so overwhelmed by the presence of God that it's really hard to speak? And even in an attempt to describe it, it's really hard to articulate. And don't get me wrong, worship is great every week. <clears throat> but then you know how there are times <laughs> that you can sense the Spirit of God present in a really significant way. Part of me believes that when that happens, there is a deep hunger and a deep thirst among the people. It's not like God changes his mind one Sunday, he's gonna do this next that, and you know, he's inconsistent. <clears throat> That's not who he is. But when we come and there is a openness, when we come and there's a deep hunger, we come and there's a great thirst. It's almost like that hunger and that thirst invites an open heaven. And when there's an open heaven, the Spirit of God comes in and He meets us. Yeah. <clears throat> Scripture says that Jesus says, seeking you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. It is my sense this morning that it is a knocking sort of morning. It is a seeking sort of morning that there are many of us here this morning with great need, with great spiritual thirst and a deep spiritual hunger. Thank you, nephew. <clears throat> and the Lord is going to and has already begun to meet that need. So my encouragement to you today, as we continue in the spirit of worship through hearing the word of God today, one, it was my hope to just kind of articulate what was happening just in case there was someone here who senses, you know, this, this excitement, this movement, but doesn't quite know what it is. So it was, it's my hope to articulate what that is. But then two, it's an extended invitation that if you are a person in great need today, more than usual, whether that be for rest, or as my brother said, healing, there's a great need today for joy, to be filled up, to overflowing, not just full. Today you're like, no, full isn't enough for me. I need to walk out overflowing. Our brothers and sisters are here today. They're going to be sharing their story. I pray for overflowing, not just that the Spirit will fill them up. 
that it would be an overflowing. So as I'm trying to gather myself, <clears throat> my prayer is that as we hear the word of God today, there will be an overflowing. <clears throat> Not because I communicate in such a way that, you know, it'll, it'll stop the presses or people will be deeply impressed, but because the Spirit of God has anointed this message and this word today, and it is not by my own doing. I decrease that he might increase. And I know you all do at New Community, and I do too. We take the work of the Spirit of God very seriously. So my job this morning as I do this sermon <clears throat> is to just move out of the way. <laughs> I'm going to be the vessel this morning. But it is my hope that you hear Jesus more than you hear me, that you see him more than you see me, and that you respond to his spirit more than you respond to me. I want you to go with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. And I'm going to start at verse 1. And read the first 10 verses. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger, they will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Verse 9, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them rich and satisfying life. God, thank you for your word. Bless it. Speak to us through it. Draw us deeper into relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, a few years ago, maybe more than a few years ago, but I don't want to say how many because I don't want to tell my age, um, but you probably couldn't guess anyway because, you know, <clears throat> black doesn't crack. <laughs> Thank God for melanin. But some years ago, 
when I was in college, I was so on fire for Jesus. I, I was that person that was like super spiritual, very deep, okay? I didn't walk across campus, I floated. <laughs> That's how deep I was, <laughs> okay? I didn't just fast, I fasted. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I was always <laughs> trying to talk to people about Jesus. You know, it was kind of sometimes a low-key bombarding, um, but that's just how zealous I was. You know, it was very innocent, you know, lots of zeal, not a lot of knowledge, uh, but that's where I was during that time. Over the years in college that, you know, I got a little bit more tame. It was less floating and more walking uh, sort of thing. But I remember one of the things that I was always passionate about was sharing with people about Jesus. And while I was someone who was very excited and on fire for Jesus, I still struggled with, you know, sharing with people or just talking to people in a way where my faith was always kind of highlighted, you know? Um, since I, in the beginning, you know, I, I tended to be, a, you know, a little overkill. <laughs> Later on, as I tried to, you know, just be more open to the spirit and wisdom, I, I, I struggled. Like, well, God, how do I talk to people? You know, do I talk to people? Do I just let the Holy Spirit do his work without me talking. What does this look like? <clears throat> anyway, as I attempted to kind of answer that question, I, I still did share, but there was a part of me that was intimidated. I didn't know how to do it, when to do it, should I do it? And then there were just times I was just outright tired. I, I didn't want to share. I didn't want to have my faith on display. I didn't want to talk to people about Jesus. I was having one of those days one day. I was walking <clears throat> from class. I stopped by the cafeteria and I lived in this little area. Uh, uh, it was like a little quad area. And the cafeteria was at the bottom of the hill in my dorm was at the top of the hill. That was like the only exercise I got. That freshman 15 was real for me. You know, I don't know if you've heard that, but they say when you first come into school, your freshman year, you gain 15 pounds. Um, so I'm grateful God and his divine wisdom would build in <laughs> working out for me every day. But I remember <laughs> walking from the cafeteria and I was walking up this hill to get to my dorm room. And I, I remember just being exhausted this day. I was tired. I had my little styrofoam container in my hand. And I'm walking up the hill to Wetzel Hall. That's what it was called, Wetzel, right? Yep, my sister confirmed. Uh, Wetzel Hall. And across the way toward the other building, I see a young man walking, I knew who he was. 
Um, I had talked to him before. I had seen him in our, you know, Bible study, so on and so forth. But this day, you know, I, I didn't feel like interacting with anyone. And I saw him, and he kind of had his head down. He was walking. He was going where he was going. And it felt like in that moment, the Holy Spirit was like, hey, Nicole, go over and just say hi. So you know how it is sometimes when you're going back and forth. I said, oh, I'm a little tired. My food might get cold. I'm not sure, Lord. You know, I was just having a moment. I felt like the Holy Spirit nudged me again because the Holy Spirit is gentle, right? He nudges me again and says, <clears throat> it was like he was trying to work with me, just wave, you know, <laughs> just from where you are. He's over there, just say, hey. <sighs> that was also a pass for me. <laughs> Can I just tell the truth? And shame the devil, that's what the old folks used to say at my church. Tell the truth, shame the devil. So I proceeded to go on to my room and enjoy my food, so on and so forth. Later that night, this is where the story takes quite the shift. Later that night, or maybe it was the next morning. It was a while ago, I'm not sure when, but shortly after, I remember that interaction of, you know, being invited to speak to this student, I got a call, because um, news travels fast uh, on campuses, right? Even though we didn't have social media like we have it today. Um, someone called me and they said, hey, Nicole, did you hear about this person? I said, no, you know, what happened? They said, sadly, he took his life. And I was just, Done. Immediately, I began to repent, right? And I'm like, Lord, you know, I'm sorry. And I'm like, Holy Spirit, why didn't you say more? You know, somehow it's the Holy Spirit's fault. But even in that moment, the Holy Spirit was like, no, don't take this on. This, this isn't you. It's not like, because immediately I thought, well, if I said something, maybe that would have impacted it. And that moment wasn't about that. The moment wasn't about something changing, uh, uh, the narrative that would move forward in this young man's life. It was about obedience and God always extending invitations to us and opportunities to us as well to experience him, right? And so the Holy Spirit caught me really quickly in that as I was going to kind of go down this road. But in that, I'm grateful that I had a moment to pause and be with the Lord as he spoke to me. Because immediately after that, and I repented and um, I was like, Lord, I'm sorry. I wasn't obedient. Holy Spirit, <laughs> please continue to speak. I'm sorry I didn't listen. And I'm coming along with this story. I know it's moving a little slow. But right after that, I decided I was going to write a letter to my entire family, like a show enough letter. And I wrote this letter, and it was about, I don't know. Do you remember how many pages it was? At least two. Yeah. She, she just going to agree with me because we're related, and I'm older, so... <laughs> She doesn't really have a choice, that's my sister. So at least two pages, maybe five. 
Five? Okay, she being honest, I think it's two. Um, <laughs> and I wrote and I started talking about Jesus and I started telling them, you know, now is the time. If you have not given your life to Jesus, give your life to Jesus. Jesus is the only way. I love you and I'm sharing this not to condemn you, not to beat you over the head, but because I love you, give your life to Jesus. And I mean, I got addresses from my mom's address book because, you know, we didn't have phones with all the fancy. We old school, you know what I'm saying? Get the Rolodex out type situation. Some of y'all like, I don't even know what that is. God help me because I climbing the ladder. Um, and it, but it was that sort of thing. And I sent it, typed it out, sent it to my family, and I got all these replies back. And I had a chance to pray with many people, and they received Jesus. And it was an incredible thing, right? And I'm grateful for that. Though it was a tragic situation that prompted this move, I'm grateful because I was in this stage where I didn't know. And then all of a sudden, I broke out of it, and I was able to tell everybody I knew specifically about Jesus, not just, hey, come to church with me, it'll be better, you'll feel good. No, I specifically want to testify to you about Jesus Christ, whom I know to be the way, the truth, and the life. If you don't know him, you should know him. If you have not accepted him as your Lord and Savior, accept him. I even put a prayer at the end of the letter in which I walked people through what it meant to accept Jesus into their hearts. What I once kind of was on the fence about, I became more uh, uh, focused about, and I said, Jesus is the answer that I want to present to you. Now, I told that story to go on to say this. We live in a world where we are divided. <laughs> Is Jesus the only way? Are there many ways? Are there ways to get close to heaven without really needing to access Jesus? Are there ways to still get the benefits of all the good news, of all of the gospel as a whole without Jesus? Can I have these things? Are there other options? Can we get to our spiritual goals? Can we attain spiritual fulfillment by way of other methods? And I mean, we, we've tried, haven't we? <laughs> we, we see it, and uh, there's all sorts of invitations to get to know your deeper, higher spiritual self, right? There are all kinds of answers to be more spiritually fulfilled without accessing the presence and person of the Holy Spirit. It still exists today. It is an age-old question slash debate. And here we are in our text today, lest you thought I forgot about it in my storytelling. One of my church planting mentors once told me, a good preacher always starts with Jesus and comes back to Jesus in their message. I believe that. I try to do that at all times. But coming back to our text more directly, we see an audience where the same thing is happening. 
It doesn't say it explicitly, but that's why I'm here for you, so you don't have to do the background work in this moment. I can tell you there is a debate going on here. The audience is divided. <laughs> People are acknowledging there's something about Jesus. Something about the name Jesus. Okay, about two people know that song. That's all right. Y'all know me, and you know I'm going to throw something in there just to make sure, keep you on your toes, right? And so they, they acknowledge that there is something about Jesus. We like this Jesus. We at weddings, we turn it up. We ran out of wine. Jesus turned water into wine. I like him, right? We're at a mountainside picnic, and there's not enough fish and bread, but Jesus, in his supernatural power, he hosted a fish fry where everybody got fed and fried the fish hard. Black people get that one. But ask a black friend about the fried heart part, right? So there's all this great stuff about Jesus, and not just food. I, I'm drawn to the food because I'm a foodie. I like to eat, right? But Jesus is also doing all these other miraculous things. He's healing the sick. He's raising dead folks. He's, he's doing all kinds of things, and people's minds are blown. And they go, I like that, Jesus. I like that about Jesus. But where people begin to question him and become divided about him, it's in places, like on the Sermon on the Mount, one of his most famous sermons, it's in places like that where Jesus begins to say things that they need to hear, not just see things that, you know, they need to see, but he begins to say things that they need to hear. For instance, he goes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Whew. Jesus continues in that famous sermon. He goes, blessed are you when people insult and persecute you because you are my followers. Okay. Things with Jesus are great until he begins to teach things that offend my sensibilities. Until he asks me to do things that are challenging, that are difficult, that aren't congruent with my lifestyle and my personal desires. You know, he asked me to begin to shift how I'm living and how I'm showing up in the world every day. He invites me to a place of being set apart. He invites me to places of sanctification. He begins to say, it's imperative, son, it's imperative, daughter, it's imperative, child of God, that you begin to move into a place that God is calling you to begin to move into places in which you will begin to see who God really is, and you will begin to see who you really are in Him. And see, that's hard, because if that means I have to come out from among them, I don't know if I'm gonna do that. This is where I'm comfortable showing up. I feel like I could be me 
here in this circle. And Jesus goes, yeah, you can be me over here, but it's not the me I'm calling you to be. Where's the fish fry Jesus when I need him? Right? Because I like that Jesus. Water into wine Jesus, where is he when I need him? Because now you're saying, come out from among them, be separate, right? Be who I'm calling you to be. Let me begin to define who you are and show you the real you. And you can only know that if you know me, because I created you. So sensibilities are becoming offended. They're, they're, they're not quite understanding. I mean, even people who have walked with Jesus, know Jesus, have um, uh, done this work of submitting themselves to Jesus, they, they, they begin to even ask themselves, what is going on? Because it's something when Jesus continues to invite you to move out of your comfort zone. I talked about this last week at our sister church last Sunday at... Um, New Community Bronzeville. We talked about moving out of our comfort zones to experience the transformational power of Jesus. That there is nothing like having a true relationship with Jesus Christ. Our Lord and our Savior, the love and compassion that he offers us, not just salvation, but all of who he is and all of what he wants to bring. He is saying, I am. I am. That shepherd, I am. That gate. Because here's what we know about Jesus, what I love about Jesus the eight in me, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. <laughs> Some of you probably guessed that. But what I love about Jesus is he always gives a good challenge. He challenges the status quo, and I, I like that. Hard things make me sweat, and I gotta kinda go, oh. But I like the challenge of it. So I, I, while I wrestle with the hard things of Jesus, I, I like the hard things of Jesus because Jesus is calling me higher. And I recognize that. He's calling me to come out of my comfort zone so I can experience something different. And I like that. I'm not always comfortable with it. I don't always run quickly to it, but I know he's doing what's best for me. How do I know? Because I am his sheep. I don't know what the singular name is for sheep. Is there a singular name? Somebody email me later. Let me know. I don't think so, is it? Bobby Joe? Okay. <laughs> Just put her on the spot right in the middle of the circle. Right? I know his voice, so I know when he's calling me. I know when he's calling me. I love that Jesus says in our text today, he's challenging that religious status quo by these I am statements. He goes, yes, I am. Hear this. I am 
the gate. Those who come through me will be saved. They will go freely and find, this is my favorite part, good pastures. John 10 and 11, right? Another version says it, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life ah, for the sheep. And here's the thing not to be confused by. Jesus says, even if you were the only sheep, huh, I'd do it for you. Even if it was only you, I'd do it for you. Real quick, just point to yourself. Say, even if it was only me, he'd do it for me. Doesn't that feel good? Even if it was only you, he'd do it for you because he goes, I am the good shepherd. I am not bound by your actions and your responses, whether you obey quickly or slowly. I am good even when you do things that are contrary to what I'm calling you to do and who I'm calling you to be. I am good. And one thing that will not change is the sacrifice that I have made for you. He doesn't go back and take back his sacrifice based on my goodness. The Bible says that he died for his enemies just like he died for everybody else. He didn't go, when I'm making this sacrifice, I just want to make it for the people who like me. He said, even my enemies, that's a good shepherd. He says, I am the gate and you enter by way of relationship with me. Not rules, <laughs> but by relationship with me. And remember there's this group there and they were divided and they're not sure this group of people who were challenging who Jesus was and what he was saying, they, they were called the Pharisees. A group that emerged kind of out of this grassroots movement as there needed to be teaching and explanation of Scripture, these people began to do it, and this religious sect of sort was formed out of that need. But unfortunately, what started as a good thing, y'all know how this is, what began as something that was supposed to be good and pure and righteous and, and, and wholesome, it turned into something else. The focus shifted from the need. Does that sound like the church sometimes when the focus shifts from Jesus? Okay, that's a sermon for another day. But listen to this. The focus shifted, and in that shift uh, with this religious sect, uh, what was once important became inconsequential, right? They began to teach and show up out of a need to be acknowledged, out of a need to be heralded for how smart they were, for how uh, knowledgeable they were. All of a sudden, this group that was formed to be inclusive and help everyone, they became completely exclusive. They thought they were the gate. <laughs> They thought they were the gate. Church, sometimes 
We think we're the gate. Yeah. We think we can make the decisions based on who gets what, how they get it, how they receive it. We can sometimes ourselves take up a spirit of a Pharisee. We've all been there. We've all done that. They thought they were the gate. But then Jesus shows up. And I like Jesus. I do. Because Jesus, you know, uh, we, we came up here from Minnesota, and there's a thing in Minnesota called Minnesota Nice. And it actually isn't nice at all. It's, it's very passive aggressive, right? But it's just, you know, people, they smile in your face all the time. Okay, that's a different song. I am telling my age up here with these songs. I got to get more current. Is there a little Dirk song I could sing? My nephew said that is a pass. We will not do that in church. <laughs> but it's really passive aggressive, but they call it Minnesota nice. I am from this lovely city particularly the west side of the city. For those of you who like live here, born, raised here, you know the importance of the sides of the city. Yeah? Any west siders out there? Okay. Any south siders out there? Okay. North side does not count. And if you're from Chicago, you know that. You know that already. So I ain't even got, I ain't even got to do that. <laughs> I ain't even got to do that. Oh, okay, okay, fine. Any north siders? <laughs> you see how y'all struggling? <laughs> ah, that's like, that's like, uh, okay, that was the Holy Spirit saying stop. All right, back to the message. <laughs> so Jesus is going, you are not the gate. And I like it because he is straightforward. He is not Minnesota nice about it. He is west side about it. I'm sorry I said I was going to stop, didn't I? My cousins are from the south side, so they're really going to talk about me after service probably. But Jesus says, I am the gate. I am. So in that moment, Jesus begins to strip away their, their sense of power and prestige. Jesus is going, I am the gate by which all manner of scripture interpretation and execution must come through. Not only am I that, I am the fulfillment of that. And this was tough for this religious set to hear because they had become the religious force to be reckoned with. Everyone followed them, okay? Everybody followed their tweets and retweeted them. Everybody looked at their posts on Instagram and tuned in for their Instagram lives. You know what I'm saying, right? This is how popular their work. So then Jesus comes in, he's threatening that. He's threatening their social and political agendas. Jesus threatens this by saying, I am the gate. He's saying much of what you're now teaching, much of what you're now doing has now been infiltrated by your own needs, wants, and desires, and this has dictated what you're doing. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Come back to me and let me show you what faith is all about. Let me define your belief system with new spiritual truths and revelations. 
Now, you'd think that would be enough for Jesus to say that, right? But Jesus sensing their defensiveness and their objections, he gets even more specific. He goes even further. And it's what we just read, how he's the good shepherd. And check this out. He goes, let me further differentiate myself. The good shepherd lays down his life. He sacrifices his life for the sheep. The Pharisees are like, wait a minute. What, what does this mean? And, and, they're, and I imagine they're not even fully comprehending what Jesus is saying because they're concerned about their territory. They're concerned about whether Jesus is their competition. And Jesus is like, we're we not even in the same category. <laughs> there is no competition. We're not in the same group. There is no group. I am... Ugh. I am the shepherd. Correction, I am the good shepherd. And you know what I do? I look out for my sheep. So Jesus goes, I'm not just coming just to make you feel bad or harass you. I'm coming for my sheep and I do what I have to do for my sheep. So I'm calling this out Pharisees, I'm calling you out. You have mismanaged. This is essentially what Jesus is telling them. He goes, you have mismanaged your spiritual authority. You have abused your position. You aren't even fit to be called a leader. You are not good shepherds. Don't get mad at me. Jesus says this. And he goes even further. He says, as a matter of fact, you are thieves. That's what he says. You are robbers. You are hired hands. <laughs> Jesus went there. And he goes there, not just for the sake of going there, not for the sake of awe and shock. He goes there because he loves the sheep. He goes there because he loves the people. He goes there because he sees the people as precious. He sees them as the Father sees them. When Jesus would go out and teach and crowds would follow him, the Bible says he would take compassion. 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 He would take compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus mourned that people were so spiritually broken and destitute. He mourned that they were so down and out on life. He mourned the sickness, the death, depression, oppression. It hurt Jesus. When we come through those doors, and we gather for corporate worship and we come in carrying things that are weighty, that are heavy, it hurts Jesus. He automatically wants to demonstrate his compassion and so he anoints our worship. 
He anoints our musicians. He anoints the time that we have announcements and we welcome people. He anoints the Word of God. He anoints the works there. After why does He do that? It is because of His compassion. Because He wants us to know that He is a good shepherd and He mourns when the sheep are lost and hurting. It hurts Him. The shortest verse in the Bible, albeit why it's the shortest, perhaps contains the most truth and transparency about who Jesus is. The Bible says that Jesus wept. That embraces all of who he is, his humanity, his good shepherdness, if you will. It says he wept. Jesus weeps when his sheep are scattered. Jesus feels righteous indignation when the people who are supposed to be leading and teaching and guiding to him, he names it, he calls it out, he flips tables in his father's house to remind us that he is the only way, and he is here to set people free. Jesus does not want the sheep suffering and scattered, worried about their own well-being. Jesus says, I want to send those sheep who are scattered to a church. Hear what I'm saying? Not a building. Not a building. I want to send them to a church. Here's what we have to remember. Even though we gather in a building and we call this church, this building would just be a building that would not be a church if it was not for the people in it. Does that make sense? What distinguishes this place from Walmart or Target, AKA Target? but you gotta say Tarjay because Tarjay is bougie. What distinguishes us is that we are here and we are the church. So Jesus is looking to send the sheep to a church. Not a building that has the most popular services and offerings and things of that nature, not the most fun one, the most appealing one, the one where I can be in hiding the most, I don't have to do a lot of work, not the one where I could be the most comfortable, not the one where I can remain hands off and anonymous. No, he says, I want to send them to a people. I want to send them to a movement. I want to send them to a city within a city. Y'all ain't going to say nothing, new community. I want to send them to a church, to a place that is defined and refined by my spirit. I want to send them to a people who know my voice and who know the good shepherd. I want to send them to a church that has really just one shepherd. And that's the good shepherd. 
because all of our works, all of the things we do and the ways that we serve ought to be hinged on who he is and not who we are. Because when we rely on the good shepherd, he will protect and care for the sheep. The good shepherd will bring them a rich and satisfying life. The good shepherd will bring healing to their stories. The good shepherd will help them draw from a well that will never run dry. The good shepherd will provide a table for them to feast and never experience famine that will lead to destruction. The good shepherd will prepare a table before them in the presence of their enemies and allow them to feast. A good shepherd just won't fill you up. He will give you overflowing a good shepherd will bless you all the days of your life. A good shepherd will lead you and never leave you. A good shepherd will never abandon you. A good shepherd will never abuse you. A good shepherd. We have to be a church that points to the good shepherd, not ourselves. Not how good we are. Now how good we sound, not how good we look. Now how good we are able to quote scripture. Now how good we are able to lead, to preach, to teach, to organize. Not how good we are, but how good he is. Because when we really invite in the good shepherd, the good shepherd goes, I'm not just here to demonstrate my powers and my supernatural abilities because that's how that group knew him, right? Only by those miracles. But he says, I'm the good shepherd. And I love this part. He goes, I know my sheep. Uh-huh. Come on. He goes, I know my sheep. And that last part is, they know me. We walk with the Savior that knows us. I mean, he knows us. He knows us. Have you ever had that desire, you, you just want somebody to get you? I just want somebody to know me to know me, like to, to be able to talk to me and get me, to be able to give me the right kinds of advice, to be able to lead me on the right path, to help me define who I am and what I'm supposed to be. I just wish they knew me. And then Jesus goes, I'm the good shepherd. I know you. But then he empowers us because he Jesus, he's Jesus. And he goes, you know me too. We, we have this sharing, this knowing of one another. I'm not sitting here saying, just look up to me and worship me. He goes, let me show you how much I love you. I'm going to come down, cover myself in humanity. I'm going to come down and be born of a virgin, wrapped in swaddling clothes, born in a manger. I'm going to come down. 
because I'm not just content with you knowing I'm a good shepherd. I'm going to come and show you. My mother used to say, I could show you better than I can tell you. That was a threat. But in this, <laughs> in this context, it's a promise. <laughs> he goes, I can show you huh, that I know you and you know me. I'm not that far from you. I came down and I wrapped myself in your experience so you could know how deeply and how intimately I wanted to be acquainted to you. If you have ever said, I wish somebody just knew me, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know you. And you know me. And in that, that denotes a sense of intimacy. Oh, I got to wrap up. I'm lengthy today. Uh, a, a sense of intimacy, right? Jesus says, I don't want rules. I don't want just empty actions. I want your heart. Oh, man. I want your hearts. Can you give that to me? Can we give our hearts to Jesus this morning because there are places of intimacy and rest that God wants us to experience and it won't come by way of following the rules. It won't come by way of status or power of by works. It just will come through relationship with him. I believe that this sermon, God is speaking to his church, and he's calling us back to the pasture of his love and grace. He's calling us back, yeah, to those pastures of protection that we've wandered from because we begin to seek other methods and other ways, and other promises. But he says to us today, his sheep. He says, my sheep will listen to my voice. And as they listen to my voice, listening just won't be enough. They'll follow. They'll follow. John 10, verse 28. And he goes, here's the promise. I will give them eternal life. Isn't that crazy to try to wrap your minds around that? He goes, I will give you eternal life. He says, you will never perish. No one can snatch you away from me, for my Father has given you to me. And he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch you from the Father's hand. 
Let me say that one more time before I go sit down. No one, nothing can snatch you from the Father's hand. And then Jesus says one more time for the road. My Father and I are one. What is he saying? He's going, I am. Ah, I am. And I could preach on just those two words alone. I am. When Moses is sent to free the Israelites, and he goes, who should I say sent me? He says, just say, I am. Jesus says, I am. And then encompasses all of who I am. And the Father and I are one. It's our turn to return to the Father. To return from those places where we thought it was greener pastures, right? It's greener pastures over there outside of Jesus and the will of God. But now it's time to come back. To return from places of rigidness and rebellion. And to run back to relationship. Real quick, this morning, how many of us, and I'm going to say us, hear this message and are reminded, I need to return back to relationship. Will you raise your hand with me if that's you? Only if that's you, because I'm saying with me because I'm in it too. One, two, three, hands up if that's you. You go, I need to return back to relationship. I know, difficult, hard, put them down. Put them down. I actually do a hard thing. I get it. But I, I did that because here's one great thing about the church. We see we're not alone. Because, you know, sometimes you just feel like it's just me. I'm the one struggling with rigidness. I'm the one struggling with rejection and rebellion. It's just me. But very quickly, when those hands went up, for all the people that came out of their comfort zone, thank you for doing that. Because actually, that was a witness to the person next to you who felt like, I'm alone. Who came in here today and said, I'm alone. Nobody else is going through this. Nobody else is experiencing problems. Thank you for coming out of your comfort zone and raising your hand this morning because you just testified that we are all broken. <laughs> we are all sinners in need of a Savior. We have all fallen short of God's glory. We have all strayed away from his glorious pasture. We have done it. You are not alone. Thank you for raising your hand with me. Because we just told the world, you are not alone. You just told your neighbor, you are not alone. You just witnessed and said, you are not alone. You just took your opportunity, like the one I told about that I missed. You took one and you raised your hand and you said, you are not alone. So thank you for doing that this morning.
God is faithful. And we point to the great I am, the good shepherd who is calling us in this moment to move forward into the pastures that are greener because he has made them greener, to the ones that are safer because he has made them safe. Hear his voice and follow this morning. Thank you, Lord, for being the good shepherd. Amen.